All right. While we're still under a caution, I want you to go back out on that track and hit the Porsche car. Hit the Porsche car? Hit the Porsche car! What for? Because you've hit every other goddamn thing out there. I want you to be perfect. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. <laughs> was all RJ's idea, that's all on him. Welcome to episode 427 of Motorsport 101. I am your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. And welcome to a bonus episode. Like, we, we love doing these bonus episodes now. And RJ insisted we do this one because he was actually down there. And well, yeah, there's no better man to lead the charge than the man who was down at Sebring himself this last weekend. RJ O'Connell, tell me about Super Sebring. Um, so this is weird. I've been to Sebring like three times in the last six months. Uh, first one was for SRO America last September. One of them was for a private test with the AF Corsa Ferrari GT team. And then there was Super Sebring, which is, of course, the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring from the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and the 1,000 Miles of Sebring held the day before as part of the FIA World Endurance Championship insists that you call it WEC and not WEC, even though you don't call it ELMS, you call it ELMS. It's very consistent, but the reality is Sebring hits different when there's people there. Mm. It, it very much does from what I've seen, and the, the crowds were rowdy. Uh, not so much in, in, in a likable sense for one Cam Buckley. Isn't that right, Cam? Uh... <laughs> yeah, you know... I'm looking at the chart, and there is a distinct lack of respect for the bumps that went on, uh, mainly in the IMSA race more than the WEC race. But you're at Sabring. You're supposed to respect the bumps. A I would consider myself a bump respecter. Uh, I, I think I would consider all of us a bump respecter here. Yeah. Cool. We, say, we say it in the same tone of like some people that ironically call themselves women respecters. Like, oh, like, oh, Jesus Christ. Bump respecters. Respect. We're very far apart on this. <laughs> Respect my bumps or else, everybody. Um, in this episode of Motorsport 101, this is what we call the Super Sebring Sports Car Special. See? Alliteration. Uh, who doesn't love that? Uh, as RJ quite rightly alluded to, we'll be talking about the 1,000 miles of Sebring, the WEC season opener, and IMSA's 12 hours of Sebring in one nice condensed package um that goes over bumps a lot for a lot of miles about 20 hours worth over the course of the weekend um i, I just want to know how ben keating and lawrence vantor's spines and asses feel because uh they did both of these races ow that, that that was about like 20 hours of racing all in between, I'm not, I'm not, of, course, of course, they weren't in the cars for all of that time, but that's still... You'd hope, no, you'd hope not. They wouldn't be able to walk when they get out of the car. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, that uh, the, those de <clears> that <throat> dead leg feed that you get when you've been sat down for a really long time. That would be like times by five here. They've got to get them out of their cars by crane. Um, good. <laughs> have, you, have, you, have you seen that gif of like the old sports car race from the 90s and they're pitting and doing a driver change and... <laughs> One of the mechanics just opens the door, grabs him out of the car. <laughs> It'd be like that. 
Yeah, I've seen that. I, I have seen those. They are they they don't they don't look fun. I'm guessing that was for good reason. You posted uh, cringe. <laughs> get out. Um, but uh, let, we'll get into that right after this. And uh, basically, you can find us real quick. We are on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. If you want to pers- follow our personal handles, you can at RJ O'Connell at Dre underscore WTF1 and at C Buckley 917. Um, you can also find us on our website, Motorsport101.com. There's some written content up there regarding not only Saudi Arabia, but also a special I put up today well a time of recording you'll be well it'll be well up by the time this goes out on the weekend um on lewis hamilton and his chase for his eighth world title and why the man might be in a bit of trouble if he really does want more title number eight um i write all about that uh in detail on the site i'm quite proud of that one i really enjoyed that one so uh check do check it out if you haven't already thanks for all the kind words um and yeah uh, if you really like us you can back us financially on patreon patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 five bucks gets you early access to all of our episodes before they go live to the public 10 gets you into the supporters club of our discord server where you can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded gentlemen i know you've been begging me for this do you want to talk some sports cars let's talk some sports cars let's do it let's talk the super sebring weekend right after this started with world endurance championship it's one of those weird things where we have a world championship event on a friday that is weird. Friday, and it's also it, it almost amounts to a support race, given the stature of the twelve-hour versus the very recent introduction of the one thousand miles, which we never ever get to because it's tw- one thousand miles or eight hours, and we've always hit eight hours first. Yeah, it's like wouldn't you need to have like a completely clean run, devoid of yellow, to actually hit the thousand-mile mark? I mean, we haven't even come close any year. Like, we would need faster cars than what we've got right now. Oh, well, well we, we could have had that, but we decided not to. <laughs> Thanks, Aston Martin. <laughs> so what happened during the, uh, the, the WEC pre-show, I should say, RJ? Well, Ferrari's beautiful new 499P hypercar took all the headlines of qualifying by winning the pole for the first round of the 2023 FIA World Endurance Championship. But in the end, the established powers of Toyota Gazoo Racing went on to win the race, headed by the number seven of Mike Conway, Coach Kamui Kobayashi, who is, of course, driver and team manager, and getting a Sebring redemption after stuffing his car in the wall a year ago, Jose Maria Lopez. The two-lap margin of victory between the two Toyotas and the number 50 Ferrari of Antonio Fuoco, Miguel Molina, and Nicholas Nielsen was not purely down to pace, but it does reinforce one thing that I think was very evident. Toyota are the benchmark that everyone else has to catch. Hang on, hang on. I've got to ask you, because I'm um, forgive me, I'm like, I'm letting RJ take the point for most of the show, because obviously I'm not the big sports car guy, but I have to ask, like, Toyota now has officially a Coach K? <laughs> Coach K uh, has had a Coach K. Yeah, because um, Kamui is now <clears throat> his main job is actually being involved with the running of the team. But well, he's still pretty good at this whole driving thing. And yeah, like self-professed Porsche super fan, this was very expected because Toyota 
has kind of done the aerodynamic equivalent of leaning forward in their chair for the first time in this entire LMH era. They more or less brought a brand new evolution of this car that has been running for about three years to Sabring. All new aero, front to back, brand new, new suspension, reinforced drivetrain, and it mopped the full it mopped the floor with everyone. You'd expect that of a car that's got three years of uh, not only testing time, but racing hours on its mechanicals and run by a team, which at this point is operationally really damn solid. That's right. I think, I think there were like, it's not a majority of people, but I I'm sure there were pockets of people that when everybody started coming back, we're expecting, right. Toyota are going to regress back to what they were from 2012 to 2017. They're the team that have all the resources in the world. It can never win a race. that matters. I would say no, but this is also a one race sample size. Yeah. Because even uncontested, Toyota has had maybe one clean Le Mans that was last year. Every other year, they've had major mechanical problems with at least one car. Pump the brakes on that a little bit. But yeah, like, the, I mean, watching that car over the bumps, that car was respecting the hell out of the bumps. It was gliding over them almost effortlessly. And, uh, you know, Jose Maria Lopez didn't flip the car this year. We've still flipped three cars in three years at Sabring. That's right. We did, Trey. We had a big stack up in like the first 10 minutes of the race that uh, a a GT Ferrari just took way too much sauce into turn one, went super wide and plowed the tire barrier and ended up upside down. We keep flipping cars at a flat track. How does that keep happening? Like, are the bumps secretly ramps? Like hot wheels or something? Some, uh, uh, I don't want to talk about cars ramping off of things. Yeah, more <laughs> on that in our IMSA review. Um, <laughs> Toyota had a car that was more reliable. The team is more well-drilled than everybody else. They've become what Audi were about 10, 15, 20 years ago. And that just comes down to the fact that this is a continuation of the only uh, program that's been running continuously since the LMP1 hybrid era because what we know is Floyd Van Wall Racing have uh, take breaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Porsche are coming off a long layoff. Every other program is virtually brand new to this sort of thing. Well, and a big thing is even with that Porsche team, the, the WEC Porsche team only just got this car about six weeks ago. They're very raw with this car, unlike the IMSA team. So, yeah, Cam, let's talk about it. This is the first LMDH showcase for in the World Endurance Championship. Yeah. How'd they look? How'd the Cadillac look? How did the two Porsches look? Um, struggleicious, at least relative <laughs> to at least relative to the established car, and I kind of expected as much. Um, the Porsches had speed at times, were just mauling their tires. Again, I think that's a bit of a symptom of this team being being very raw with this car. I'm not worried. I'll I'll I will worry about the Porsches if they're like this six months down the line from now cadillac looked real solid and this is the same car this is actually the blue caddy that ran in daytona yeah. under the o2 it's now the two and this is the full-time uh WEC entry and they looked very solid i would say their only misstep was richard Westbrook accidentally cleaning out a gt car in one of the first practice sessions that was an atrocious crash that was there was there was no need yeah there was no need for for him to just send that car off into the shadow realm. But 
to kind of roll through the different cars, I mean, Ferrari out of the box, very solid. Uh, it wouldn't be Ferrari without a couple operational errors, but this is not the Formula One team. This is AF Corsa, who are class. And generally, the 50 car, other than a, uh, I think it was a full course yellow infringement, mm. clean race, no real reliability issues to speak of. Uh, the other car, the 51 car, got caught up with the GT. It was one of those <coughs> six of one, half a dozen of the other. You know, maybe he could have waited to pass the GT also probably could have seen him a little better. I liked that's what one I of saw. those things. I liked what I saw out of the 499 P's. I really look fine for a first race to get pole position and like when the headlines going into race morning. I mean, that's a big success. You know how many uh, big-time manufacturers that we're about to talk to that would have killed to have a first weekend out of the box just like that? Well, one of them is a big-time manufacturer, and the other two, well, they're just happy, I guess, to be here, maybe. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't like the disrespect to the 333 SP that people keep saying, oh, this is Ferrari's first time back in top-class sports car racing in 50 years. I did notice that. that was like, I was like... Is the free, free, free SP dead to you people? <laughs> um, well, it's it was never really acknowledged much by Ferrari because it was basically a Ferrari contracted out to Delara. Funny how but, that works, given this, this is, is also a car built by Delara. Yeah, yeah, Delara did have it. I guess it's yeah, they more built the just. Like, I guess it's more just like Ferrari isn't directly involved is directly involved in running this the way that they kind of weren't with the triple three SP. And the triple three SP is, the, is like their most successful prototype since the mid sixties. It was a great car. Yeah. Practically kept sports car racing afloat in the mid nineties. And for those of you who are listening and have never heard a three thirty three SP, look it up on YouTube. Put on some headphones. You'll thank me later. There you go. Just go play like Forza Motorsport two. Like that. That thing is got. Oh yeah. Great yeah. game as well. Um, I suppose we should get into uh, and yeah, like the caddy ran reliably. The Porsches had very minor issues, but nothing big mechanical, nothing like what happened at yeah. Daytona. Yeah, they're pretty very much halves. Pretty much every one of the manufacturers you'd expect to be running okay all got to the end with at least one car with no real mechanical problems. Um, unfortunately, one of those manufacturers. Well, they were the mecha they were mechanical problems. Um, we'll get to the uh, we'll get to the the team that I mock relentlessly yeah. in our community later. We have to unpack a whole pile of shit with Peugeot. I will I will preface oh, this with this: um, Van Wall, Bicolors, and Glickenhaus Racing were as struggleicious as we expected, but they all but they I actually I disagree. Focus. I disagree. I think Van Wall had a very good debut. Yeah, because and this is, considering like, this the is a Jacques team. <laughs> yeah, we, I, I wasn't even going to get into Jacques Villeneuve and his slow ass. But like, other than a, other than the car not respecting the bumps and having a left rear suspension failure, which they fixed fast enough hmm. for a privateer entry with next to no money, they were fine. They were fine. I mean, they were they were giving Glickenhaus who, oh my god, um, you know, have been here for a couple of years. They were giving them fits. This is also a Van Wall program that doesn't 
fully legally own the Van Wall IP, according to a recent ruling in the European Union uh, Intellectual Properties Office, uh, hasn't raced in the series in a, in a good handful of years. And, and when they were, when they were, what were they most known for as by college? Catching fire. Literally the 100% record of catching on fire at Le Mans. They have never <laughs> finished a race with a car that they have built or contracted. The last time they finished Le Mans was when they were running a customer Audi R10. Yeah, and the next year after that, they they climbed over that fence, dreamed the impossible dream, and broke the Audi R10. But, um, you know, they've got they, an excuse if they struggle. Yeah. Um, and Glickenhaus... What's there really to say? They were shit slow. They talked mad shit about the balance of the series and the car exploded like an hour and 40 minutes into the race. I think it was a very bold strategy for them to go through the entire prologue testing without traction control. I think it's a very bold strategy to come into modern prototype racing with a Lola T70 cosplay, but I digress. <laughs> the, 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 the Lola T70 at home. But, you know, again, they have an Jim, excuse. They, they, don't, have you know, an they excuse. don't have a lot of money. They are not backed by a full blown manufacturer. And well, I mean, the driving talent isn't really the problem unless your name no. is Jacques Villeneuve, because bless his heart. He is just way past it these days. He's trying. He, like, Team Peugeot total. Total energies. What the hell? Yeah. So the car is unreliable and and a driver was worried that if he climbed out of it, he would die. But other than that, everything was great. <laughs> this was, yeah, I mean, let's, this was let's, let's was roll through it. Cam hit him with it. Um, multiple suspension problems. Um, gearbox actuator failures. That is apparently being completely redesigned, their gearbox for uh, Portimao. Oh, crushed. Um, a hybrid, a, you know, the, that that type of hybrid system failure that's really catastrophic and means you have to leap from the car. Otherwise, you become the ground. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what the 94 car suffered. Loic Duval went on the radio when his car uh, conked out and said, if I die, please check on my kids and properties. I don't know how much of this has been being dramatic or if he's serious about it. That, I think it was that's very terrifying. Of both, I suspect. That's terrifying. That is absolutely terrifying. <laughs> um, and even when the car was running, it was atrociously slow because a car built purely on ground effects is not really going to be very happy at sabering when it has no rear wing to generate downforce. And, well, when it's bounced up in the air, there's no seal with the ground. And because they run uh, basically uh, square tires, they run they run tires that are the same size uh, to get a favorable hybrid system BOP, they can't get any power to the ground through the rear tires because the tires are too skinny. Um, the ride quality was poor. I mean, it looks goofy. Um, to quote regular car reviews regarding their livery, what seems to be the problem, officer? Uh, do you know how bland you were going back there? <laughs> how bland. Raw primer is not a livery. I'm sorry. Um, I, I love there is we, nothing I love good. We have, I love that we're having livery debates here after Merck's in their 90% carbon job, and now it's Peugeot and I prefer bland. that. I actually prefer the nearly unpainted Mercedes to leaving a car in straight primer. 
<laughs> um, I mean, I mean, their their final their final results at Sabring, the 93 car, which, if I recall correctly, broke before the race even started. That's right. One of their cars uh, had to go to the pits before they even dropped the green flag. And that was the one that was the last classified finisher out of everybody below the LB2s and below all the GTs, <laughs> but ahead of the 94 and all the other cars that officially retired from the race. Would you like to know why the 94 was classified behind it? Because it wasn't classified at all. Huh? <laughs> I mean, the thing is, like, like, the funky thing with the Peugeot is its its whole aero concept is very out there. And it is very clearly a Lamar special. Oh, yeah. Um, because it, it, it's lower downforce, but it's lower drag. Mm. <laughs> But we're not going to be able to tell at Lamar because this thing is at last in 24 minutes, let alone 24 hours. It is bad right now for Peugeot. And if they uh, obviously this is a this is a tough track for cars. But if they're this bad at Portimao where they're going to Nets, they're this bad at Spa coming up after that. I mean, their best result last year, looking looking back through the results, it was at <clears throat> was uh, at at what is it Bahrain? Yeah, they were six laps down. They finished fourth, but they were six laps down. Um, and that was an eight hour race. I, I mean, mean, at the six hours of Fuji, they were seven laps down. Everybody expects this car, the 9S8 hybrid, to perform well at Le Mans because it is a strange concept, and there are also pockets of sports car Twitter that believe, oh, the ACL will rig it for the French, uh, let alone the fact that they actually have to finish the race first and foremost. But could you imagine <laughs> coming up on the horizon, because Alpine's got a project coming up in the hybrid mm. class, and they've got the ha-ha funny uh, Formula they've 2. Got the, they've got the Mechachrome V6 straight out of Formula 2. That's right. But so could you imagine if Peugeot is still around with this concept and they're still struggling and next year they get beat by Alpine every other weekend and especially at Le Mans. And remember, this is a new Peugeot. This is not the old Peugeot that with their staff with boots on the ground at Sebring pulled the plug on the project in 2012. Oh, yeah. But I cannot imagine that even to the Stellantis board that spending this much money to get your butt kicked every single time you touch the track is well, on RJ well, on RJ, especially up against, and of course they're not part of Stellantis, but they are Stellantis adjacent, especially when Ferrari have debuted and have absolutely destroyed them on debut on debut with a car that again, like it wasn't perfect, but it was like Peugeot's now had half a year and the better part of two years of testing. And the reliability is no better. And they've, we, been, le- and they've, le- they've been leapfrogged by Ferrari. And they've been leapfrogged by everybody. I mean, yeah. Van Wall and Glickenhaus were closer to Peugeot than Peugeot was to Toyota. Christ! And this is the company, uh, again, different technical team, but this is the company that was building cars that were running 319s as a race pace at Le Mans in 2010. Um, Cars that you know, they would catch a GT car mid corner and they would just open the steer and go around the outside of a corner offline because they had so much downforce. Oh, I miss the 908 so much. The 908 was, you know, just the dumbest car. Um, it is not up to scratch given their heritage in prototype racing where, 
you know, the 905 took a year to come good, but when it did, oh boy. Yeah. Uh, a crash away from sweeping the 92 World Sports Car Championship. That's right. It's you know, got to be better. It's got to be better. Like, we talked about this before offline, Cam. It's like Porsche doesn't get all, never got all of their major prototypes right right out of the box. And you're seeing a little bit out of that with the 963. But the 963 is nowhere near this badly off as Peugeot is. And they've run half the a ni- season already. The 963 was debatably the fastest legal car at the 24 hours of Daytona. <laughs> debatably. But, you know, we saw with the 919, it took it a better part of a year to get it right. But when they got it right, they ran the field over in 2015. Um, the 908 was doing damage out of the box. It, it, the Peugeot is, has, is, they have too much history in prototype racing that is good for them to be this bad for this long. Yeah. Ferrari's excuse is that they've been either away from this for, for about 20 or 50 years. To Ferrari doesn't need an excuse. Yeah. They got a podium on debut. Oh, uh, you know, a Ferrari program that we can respect on this podcast. That is right. That, that never happens on here. <sighs> yeah. The weird I, feeling. I will, yeah. I also like the fact that Antonio Fuoco's career has come full circle after he yes. never quite panned out in single seaters, but still gets to shine on a world championship stage with Ferrari. I'll say this for the problems that the 51 car had. Antonio Giovinazzi was not the problem in that car. No, he was solid. Very, very solid. So Italian, hey, it's Italian really, Jesus can go. <laughs> it, it, it's a tale of two halves with the top class because first half, and it's like either we expected Toyota to dominate or everyone else had fine to solid races. And then the other half is just a mountain of dinosaur shit. Yeah, <laughs> it was little operational errors from all the other teams to put them two laps down or more to Toyota. Yes, that was the quickest car, but if you look at average lap times, the Delta was it, not like three to four seconds. It, it probably looked more like two. And like it, it probably looked more like a lap on pace. Yeah. And, and again, it's the first race. Like the BOP will change. Porsche and Cadillac and Ferrari will all improve in the running of their cars. Yeah, but it'll get a little more. It, it is a small sample size. It is not like Peugeot where they are having the same problems that they did half a year ago on debut. One thing I will say about balance of performance is that WEC is trying something different. You know, for individual cars, it's fixed until Monza. So after Le Mans, but you can tweak the platform balance of performance between. So if there's a big deficit between Le Mans hypercars and LMDHs, they can tweak that. Which I think is probably going to be the right call going forward. And we'll see how it goes. Hmm. Should we talk about NP2 a little bit, fellas? Um Yeah, I guess we can do that. We can finally we can finally say it. Go on. Never count out touchdown Tom. Because the Brady brand sponsored Hertz Team Jota number 48 Orica. The car that's running because they don't have their customer 963 yet. Well them. Won the class after Prima's number 63 car was leading, and then it ran out of fuel with about 10 minutes to go and dropped them down to third. Struggalicious. Yeah, I mean, kind of just confirms what we saw last year. Team Jota are real good right now. And they're going to be real good 
Well, hopefully if they get their 963s, given that two of them were probably written off in the IMSA race. Uh, <laughs> oh. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was pretty much a dogfight between them all race as well as the uh, WRT car. Not a lot else happened in LMP2. It was kind of it was the focus on the lead battle and then the rest was kind of just extra gravy. Yeah. It was it was also like a very good showcase for a driver like Will Stevens, you know, who is very quick and solid in the day. Imagine you give Will Stevens a car that's, you know, not three to four seconds off the pace on a on its very best days and he can thrive. Yife Ye is going to be a very, very a star. He, he was the first Chinese national to win a race in any class in the World Endurance Championship. And I can imagine that will not be the last time you see him up on the top step of the podium. Can I also give a shout out to Dorian Pan of Prima? And like, oh, yes. Jamie Chadwick has gotten a lot of products as the leading woman in motorsport. I'm not even going to touch like the gender critical stuff from last July, but it does feel weird that like Chadwick is getting all the plub is like the leading woman in motorsport and Dorian Pan who has been excellent in her field, is getting, like, maybe a 20th of the coverage? It does. It does kind of leave a bad taste in my mouth. She was excellent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She did nothing to uh, disgrace her team. She was not a liability. Her first ever race in an LMP2 car to get on the podium. That's amazing for Dorian. Yep. 100%. And, uh, well, in GT, because there's only one GT class now, it's all pro-am. Ben Keating might just be the best amateur driver in this class. And Corvette Racing just spanked everybody off the back of You know, I, for one, am shocked that the privateer-owned but factory-run car (laughs) with some factory drivers and then the best am won the GTE am class. No way. (laughs) Like I saw, I saw a great thread on Twitter regarding this, regarding like what what to do to merge the best of the WEC and IMSA together. And I love that there was a section on the the bronze section. It was like just have twelve to sixteen Ben Keatons. That would be fine, pretty much, because <laughs> he he fits right into that gap of he is not quite as quick as the top tier professional drivers. But he is also eons ahead of the quote unquote dentists that we poke fun at. Not just in pace, but in terms of his consistency. Again, we don't oh, yeah. make fun it's of dentist drivers. It's not the pace. It's more the just complete tomfoolery that they get themselves involved in. Remember that it becomes very important later. I also say as well, uh, Nico Verona in his first race uh, as a Corvette racing driver, young Argentine. Um, He's going to be a hot property to watch in this form of racing. Mm-hmm. So that was the WEC. Yeah, it was a fairly it was a fairly tame race. I learned a lot. It was tame. It was uneventful. Um, now, on the other hand, IMSA. Oh, we, yeah, <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the powder keg. The first Sebring twelve hours of the LMDH era over in IMSA, and um. Well, did someone say chaos? Yeah, I mean, it, it boiled down to a flurry of late restarts in the final two hours. Um, to summarize the lead battle, both Porsche Penske Motorsport 963s and the number 10 Konica Minolta Acura ARX 06 were in position to win. 
until contact between Matthew Jamine in the number six Porsche and Philippe Albuquerque in the number 10 Acura sent them both crashing right in front of Felipe Nazar, who got shoved into that meat grinder by a GTD car and ended up going over the top of the teammate number six. Five car pileup. Five the, car pileup, multiple GTs involved, th- all three prototypes written off, <laughs> and through the wreckage, the number three, the number 13, the 31. Na- third third time lucky, number 31, Wheel and Engineering Cadillac V-Series.R of Pipo Durrani, who kept himself surprisingly clean this time, Alex Sims and Jack Aiken won a very eventful, very messy second leg of Super Sabring and the second Enduro of the IMSA season. In a race where their chances pretty much looked done after Durrani drove into a uh, spun LMP3 car two hours into the race. He just yeah. couldn't avoid the dentist. Oh, that dentist becomes important later. Oh, boy. Yeah, we learned a lot out of this Sabre 12 hours. I want to I wanna talk. So, yeah, <clears throat> almost every class winner in this race had an issue or another. Because your overall in GTP class winner um, couldn't avoid a car that spun right in front of it and crashed. And this was at the end of the stint where those tires just fell off rapidly if you were doing a double sit. Yeah, uh, that, that was kind of the key. Uh, that was the key strategic decision during this race is that uh, you are limited heavily on how many tires you have. But old tires melt on these heavier um, more powerful prototypes. Yeah, I, I saw that with Ricky Taylor um, early on in the Wayne Taylor car, and he was just struggling at the second half of that double stint. I, th- it, I think Scott Dixon, and look, Scott Dixon, you know, pretty good at his job and everything. Oh, yeah. But, but oh, he yeah. pulled 19 seconds on Ricky Taylor on one stint <laughs> yeah, because like, he had fresh tires and Ricky didn't. And the only and the only reason they couldn't get past Ricky because the Acura was so powerful in a straight line, they couldn't pass him. That thing, you know, more than the Red Bull F1 car, that thing is the power of God in anime down the straights. It is comedy against every other car in the class. Um, that's what having an IndyCar engine does for you. So they had their issues in the world. Uh, you don't expect a car that crashes into another car two hours in to be in contention to win it at the end of it, but that's the way things go. Uh, our LMP2 winners, first of all, Scott McLaughlin is an LMP2 class winner at Sebring, but that only happened after Kiffin Simpson in the same car crashed out on his own at half distance and miraculously all the damage was cosmetic. You know, RJ, there was like an hour and a half long sequence where it felt like every 20 minutes we were seeing the eight car spin or crash or go over a curb wide. It was really painful to watch. And not only did it end up winning its class, it also ended up on the overall podium in third. (laughs) Scott McLaughlin is a sabering podium getter in (laughs) in the next class down. Kiffin Simpson and John Ferrano... I don't know how they did it. It was a great escape. Then we got to talk about the GTD classes because, hey, good news. The balance of performance changes work in the Porsche 911 GT3R isn't so shit after all, but there's a caveat to it. Yes, FAF Motorsports, Lawrence Van Thor, Patrick Pile, and Klaus Backler did win their class, but they did crash in qualifying. And then they had to take on an extreme fuel gamble in the, in the last hour of the race. It basically just 
didn't stop in the last hour. They were banking on a bunch of late restarts to just sweat. <laughs> oh, they got them. They got them. They got them, and they sweat out. Well, well, and I'll actually kind of unpack that a little bit. Yeah. The balance of performance in GTD was honestly pretty spot on. Every car got some time in the sun. Um, I will say the number three vet was probably the fastest car, but they failed to respect the bumps, had to change a left rear shock, and then they never really recovered along with becoming everyone's punching bag in the last hour because they got hit or spun about three different times. I will say this, um, Antonio Garcia at the very end, once he got, once they got their lap back, I had a feeling like maybe if they get one more, one or two more lucky restarts and catch back up, maybe they'll put in their effort to, to get back at least on the po- class podium. Didn't pan out like that, but yeah, they were very unlucky not to win yeah. this race. Yeah. I mean, they were good. The BMWs, uh, one GTD am, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, the Ferrari, didn't lead, but was running on the podium for much of the race. The Porsche, you know, it's amazing what actually having horsepower will do for your car. Power? Really? And, uh, well, if you want to know how bad the Daytona BOP was, Mercedes had a class-wide 30-kilogram swing against their car, and they were still basically the equal fastest car on the day. Um, I don't want to talk about the Lamborghinis. They were pretty much anonymous, and at least... Uh, at least one of the uh, the Iron Links run cars was a bowling ball out on the track. I say, um, when it wasn't being a bowling ball, it was actually pretty quick. Um, GTD Pro-Am, Paul Miller Motorsports gets a win with the M4, and Brian Sellers was worried that they were going to have to change brakes midway through the race. And you want to talk about, like, yeah, we talked a lot about the 911 GT3R having bad BOP at Daytona. Uh, the BMWs were equally as atrocious at Daytona, yeah. and nobody was talking about it because that car's a year old now. Yeah, that's a car where there is no question of, you know, is the car actually bad? Is it BOP? No, it was just BOP, and everyone kind of knew it. And again, pretty much across both GTD classes, every car got at least some flowers on pace. So that leaves me to this point. You want to know who the only clean winner class winner was throughout this whole day who didn't make any major mistakes? You guessed it. It's the LMP3 class winning number 74 Riley Motorsports Leger. But while they did run a clean race, they did have help. Uh, and it wasn't even really anybody's fault. Pietro Fittipaldi driving Wickra Racing's Orca LMP2. Lost a wheel, spun and crashed going in the first corner. That sucks. Uh, the wheel flies up and hits the number 30 Junior 3 Motorsports car right on the left front quarter panel. Wow, it really? shattered its nose. Yeah. So they, in other words, we, we, we had a Connor Daly moment. We had a quite literally a cartoon anvil fall from the sky onto the LMP3 <laughs> class leader. Yeah, Garrett Grist was a very lucky young man that that didn't that that went that tired and hit him in the windshield. No yeah, kidding. no kidding. Um, yeah, yeah, you know the the clean class LMP three. Sure. The thing, is, the thing is, though, and like there was one notable driver in LMP three that was like very very poor, but the driving standards in a lot of classes were just silly. Whether it was 
Whether it's Robert Mao Performance Tech Motorsports driving into a car under the safety car. <laughs> I want to talk about it. Or whether it was you know, a, a, a safety car that who caused? Robert Mao. <laughs> oh. And uh, who was driving that car when the 31 hit it earlier? That would also be Robert Mao. Now they did. Now they officially gave him a 60 second stop and go penalty, but off the record, they did tell their team like he's not getting back in the car. He's done his three hours. Do not send him back out there on the track. Yeah, Rock. we had a driver. It is not often that we get a driver parked due to poor standards. Yikes! Yet, here we. I mean, he was. I mean, he just drove in a straight line directly into the back of the number six Porsche under yellow. That is so stupid. One of the stupidest things I've seen on a racetrack in recent right. times. Yeah. Uh, I, again, a, a, a godsend that all the damage on the number six was basically cosmetic. Yeah, they were lucky. Hey, did I mention that the number seven Porsche was uh, had had smoke pouring into the cockpit earlier in the race and it still almost won? Yeah. And I mean, that... I mean, there was also the 01 Cadillac, which was really the dominant car on the day and being a little bit more gentle on the tires than everything else, right up until the point where they had uh, what was termed a fuel distribution system issue. And, yeah. it's quite, you know, it's quite a problem when the fuel is not being distributed to the engine anymore and instead it is on fire everywhere else. <sighs> Sebastian Bourdais got out of that car as it caught fire away and just walked away and was like, from Damn. the lead. They pitted from the lead, little flame, flame trail underneath the engine cover, stopped in the pit box, and just conflagration. Um, it, it appears the fuel pump may have been bounced off the motor a little bit. I yeah, that was it was deeply unfortunate because for half of this race, <laughs> this that was the car. car. That was the dominant car of the race. <coughs> yeah, I mean it was between them. I mean BMW looked better yeah i mean the 25 car landed on the podium um the number 24 car didn't because it went out with a terminal engine problem due to uh terminal cooling problems i will say that bmw looked like they've made genuine progress yes the way that they got second place was very funny but there were times where i mean, they I mean the 25 crazy. car basically it was basically the car that got to the end Without any real trouble in the GTP class, every other car had a major issue. Um, as mentioned, I mean, basically it was a, a run in through traffic. Philippe Albuquerque got the run, got alongside Jaminet. He had two wheels on the grass. Jaminet goes left to try and get around GT traffic. And, well, yeah. That Gosh. ended up being the defining moment of the race and not like, Jaminet ripping around the outside of Jack Aitken to take the lead with less than an hour ago. And then remember when we had a, the three wide pass down the front stretch before then, where Aitken drops two spots because Albuquerque had, uh, I think Albuquerque it was, had, uh, Al it was Albuquerque and Nazar. The Bala Battle of the Felipe's were both just not taking no for an A. I mean, Jack Aitken basically said after the fact that he saw how Albuquerque was passing people. And he's just like, I'm just going to let them have an accident up there. I'll just sit at a safe distance. I don't want no part of this. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, <laughs> regarding that final incident, Albuquerque and Jaminet both put their hands up, said, you know, that's hard racing. Yeah. And it, 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 it's just one of those things. I think that feeds back into 54 cars being way too many for Sabring. I, 
Yeah. It's, Th- this track was crowded all day, RJ. It, it was, but I do also feel like there is a problem with like drivers getting overconfident. Like, yeah, we talked a lot about the LMP3 driver. Like, there were some weapons in the GTD classes and not in the endearing way. Yeah, so, I, I think every class had significant uh, lack of respect for the bumps. I mean, as I said, there was a there was an hour and a half long period where the same LMP2 kept spinning off. Multiple LMP3. LMP3s causing just absolute mayhem. And there was a, there was a P1 that cr- uh, sorry P1. What is this? 2012. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there was an LMP3 that crashed on the first corner, and that yeah. really did just kind of set the tone for the entire race. Oh yeah, I forgot all about that. Lance Wilsey trying to make some moves at the back of the pack spins, clips the inside of the turn one wall. And then his car is turned around while the entire GT pack is coming right at him and nobody hits him around Somehow. a blind corner. A blind corner, which uh, if you hit the bump the wrong way, you're getting sent sideways. And this all came at a weekend where IMSA did announce that LMP2 in its current form is sticking around until 2025. It said LMP3 in the main series will wait and see. And I think that's kind of a precursor to like... When you consider Abolish that, it. When, when you consider that teams in the LMP3 class are already evaluating LMP2 programs, I think the writing is on the well. <coughs> they, as far as I'm concerned, they add nothing but meme factor. They were, like, yeah, like, and, they, and, and don't get me wrong, I'd actually argue LMP2 was worse on the day, other yeah. than Robert Mao. But neither neither class covered themselves in glory. The G, GTP runners look that crash for the lead was some silly shit. Yeah, and, and those both are drivers both drivers put their hands up, and then poor Felipe Nazar, who is sitting about two seconds back of this, he's on the brakes trying to navigate this. He's going to end up in the lead on the freshest tires, and a GTD Mercedes is up behind him and just pushes him into the meat grinder. And that's both Porsches written off. That's the number 10 Acura written off. Now, there is there was another Acura in this race. And uh, sadly, I was not here to discuss their transgressions on the last. Oh, yeah, I was not here for that because I was very sick and I'm still actually badly injured and have surgery next week. Yeah, I digress. First of all, good luck on that surgery. Yeah, yeah we'll yeah. see big man. Meyer Shank Racing. They've gone through their deflates yate scandal. They got the penalties of getting their points. There are engineers they got the penalty every- of keeping a massively illegal win. <laughs> but if you if you wanted karma for the deflate skate scandal, you got it. Thankfully, nobody got hurt, but they did lose a wheel with less than two hours to go. Yeah, left rear, uh, left rear, uh, left rear hub failed, and a uh, wheel came off. They finished, I think, sixth uh, in the class. They actually finished behind the three cars that got wiped out late on. I watched that race and I was like, anytime the number 10 and the number 60 car were together, I'm just like, play nice. Uh, there's There's been stuff that has been written about it. Um, some stuff is being misreported. There's some stuff that off the record, you know, I can say confidently that Meyer Shank Racing were not the only team that were bending the rules at Daytona. I'm not going to go into who else was in there, but let's. but what we can say is they were not the only ones. And a lot of stuff that's out there is being misreported, but I do think that a lot of people want to see that get their comeuppance. Did you see the uh, the low pressure T shirt guy? 
I did, I did see, see that. that. <laughs> well, I saw that. I heard from multiple people with boots on the ground that Meyer Shank basically were practically hiding all weekend. Like their staff didn't want to talk to anybody about anything. No. And to be fair, that's that's their decision to make. That's their decision to make. And the prevailing rumor also from boots on the ground that Honda have really, really not taken kindly to what they did. We'll see what happens. I mean, we'll see what happens with that. But it would not surprise me if sanctions come down from HPD and it jeopardizes both of their Honda affiliate racing programs. Let's put it that way. And I'd be very sad to see that happen. They didn't have the game breaking speed. Well, no shit. They're, they, as far as we know, they were not running ten uh, percent less tire pressures than everybody else. But no, but also, I mean, it's also come into question. How long have they been doing this? And is the entire twenty twenty two IMSA championship illegitimate? Legitimate questions that I don't have the answer for, but I'm sure someone out there does. From what I understand, it's. Not to the egregious degree of what it was at Daytona. Well, yeah, I mean, Daytona is a track of extremes. You would expect that. It's a track oh, of yeah. extremes, and we all know it's the one race you want to win over the series title. Very yeah. IndyCar-esque. Oh, yeah. And, and what yeah. I had said last week that, like, you know, I wasn't saying that the Daytona 24 hours win is meaningless. It's a The watches are not hunks, giant hunks of metal. But what I am saying is, like, no, that IMSA championship still means something as well, and they are not in a good way in this championship. Like, I don't think there are enough races where they can win out. Yeah, I think they are, like, mathematically, like, they would pretty much have to win every race. I don't see that happening. And have, and have other cars have problems for them to get back into. They got a huge points penalty, but, I mean, RJ, at the same time, those Rolexes are worth more than the fine they got. Yeah. It's, and, uh... It, it's it's the regulations loopholes and they and they patch that out after Sebring and I'm knowing well, not they're, they're not going to be I no <laughs> I will disagree on that tampering with spec equipment and putting software offsets in your system to hide things is not loophole bending that's not a loophole but what is a loophole is how they didn't get disqualified from the race afterwards so going uh, forward I think that's I think that's Simpson not having balls personally. <laughs> I, I had people ask the question of Doonan, and and that's what he said. It was a loophole. Sure, we'll go with that. Um, uh, I digress. I, I, I mean, when, when I it's think, when Honda they, themselves, when Honda themselves have outed it to IMSA behind the scenes between their manufacturer and that team, must not look very good right now. <sighs> There's going to be a lot of discussions coming up in the next few months. I don't know. I don't know what is going to come out in these next few months, but it's going to be very, very interesting. Um, but uh, Elio, if you want number five, I suggest you do it this year. Hey, Dre. What, Joel? Um, I wanted to. I want to pose a theory. I was posed by my colleagues at Daily Sports Car. Sure. Um, I think that if the thousand miles of Sebring were run to IMSA rules. It would be a better race because it would pack up the field where it needed to be uh, for some instances to kind of balance everything out. I think it would have been a better race. There weren't as many mini cars. And if the 12 hours of Sebring were run to WEC rules where you could have 
full course yellows instead of having to pack everybody up behind a safety car whenever there was an incident and ultimately lead to more green flag and the caution comes out restarts, I think it would have been a more civilized race and would have been a better race. Um, well, I, 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 I sound, I like the logic. It sounds good to me. Look, again, I'm not going to have the most informed opinion on this, but I have never been a fan of safety car restarts in sports car racing because I think they have a knack of breeding further yellows. People get testy. People don't know where the limit is. People push on cold tires. It, it One thing can often lead to another. I think that's certainly something to be to be looking I at. I can it, see that. But I also see where Cam's saying as well that where 52 cars might be too many. 54. I think the issues on safety cars with IMSA were much more a product of way too many cars and way too little respect between drivers because... I mean, much like much like what it feels like with IndyCar and NASCAR at this point, it feels like the respect between not only different classes, but different drivers in those classes is at an all time low. Mm. Um, I mean, again, that 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 crash for the lead was just a total lack of respect for the law. (laughs) Um, I I I would prefer to see neither, honestly, because uh I think that the WEC race by its nature and how the cars were spread out and how the classes were spread out did have a lot of field spread and wasn't all that exciting. And that's honestly okay. Yeah. I would take more of that with better car balance to more naturally, you know, more naturally put the field together. And I think we'll get there as a result of that. As RJ had mentioned, the platform balancing. However, I also really do not want to see, to our, to Dre's point, more safety cars that are thrown for the sake of bunching up the field. Because in IMSA's case, we saw a lot of that. There were they were way too long. We had a couple of cautions last what felt like forty minutes. Yeah, to do the class split, which for me is just unacceptable. We had a longer. We had a longer caution to clear up one spun LMP3 than we did for a four-car destroyed pileup with 15 minutes to go because they actually pulled their finger out when it was time to get the track ready for a green flag finish. Funny how that works. Mm, Um, And just in general, I feel like IMSA could very much benefit from Code 60. And What's Code 60, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, uh, that's, the, slow that's full course yellow. Okay, yeah, full, full, full course full. yellow, basically almost like virtual safety car. Gotcha. As well as slow zones. Yeah, where you're slow through the incident area, and then you are full racing speed elsewhere. <coughs> Excuse me, because um, it's just there's just no need for us to bunch up the field and then do the class split, wait 40 minutes, and then we get another 20 to 30 minute caution. Because some dude in an LMP3 decided to uh, break out his dental tools. I'm like, IMSA races are generally fun. Like, shorter IMSA races where you get close to the driving standards at Daytona, by and large, were very good. Yeah. And it was about more cars than we had this time. And granted, a much larger and smoother track, but 
this was not cutting it. And this is at a place where I'm sure there have been more cars enter that didn't have this much level of disrespect for one another and the limits of the track. Yeah. So what yeah. is the solution? Does IMSA finally need to realize that the virtual safety car might not be a bad thing after all? I would go with that. Is it a second safety car? I would go with I would go with virtual safety car. I would go with or I would go with the slow zones. I would fire the entirety of the LMP3 uh, class into the sun. Um, and I would up I would up what is required for a driving license to compete in IMSA in LMP2. That's because there I'm was thinking. way too much garbage going on in LMP2 in cars that are way too fast to pull that shit on. LMP2s are not that much slower than GTPs. That's exactly. and I, I, it, it looked like some eye racing. It looks like some public lobby bull jive for way too much of that race. Mm. I agree. I think for all of the pro-am classes in particular, you wouldn't. I would propose something like a rookie test. And I hate to make this all about my brand, but in Super GT, if you want to be certified to race in GT 300, you have to take a rookie test where you do 10 clean Incident-free laps above a certain pace to prove your competence around other cars and within yourself. I think that is a minimum that should be included in practically every gentleman driver um, open sports car class. And a multi-class race especially. Yeah, and that goes for LMP2, that goes for LMP3, that goes for GTD. There was way too much Bush League garbage at Sabring. When, like, the GTPs, other than that big final incident, generally behave themselves. The GTD pros behave themselves. Every other class was a complete train wreck. Mm. And and again, I th- I just think 52, uh, 54 cars is just too many at Sabring. Speaking of Sabring, RJ. Yeah. Um, so... It's strange coming to Sebring this time because it genuinely seemed like the fans at Sebring were coming out in droves for both races. Now, I want to preface this by saying that WEC in the past has struggled to have a successful North American round, uh, particularly at Circuit of the Americas. They had trouble drawing spectators. And remember, Super Sebring lost momentum when two years of it was called off due to COVID-19, but looking around the crowd and I know that like Sebring's sprawling campus just like swallows up people. It seems like there were plenty of invested fans who came here and wanted to see two good races, which is naturally why we may have seen the last one of these because the contract's up at the end of this year. Uh, and WEC may not stay in at Sebring for next season. In fact, it's looking very likely that this is the last Super Sebring that we've had. Rumor has it it's going to Indianapolis, maybe? Indianapolis is, or Coda mm, yeah. are the two prevailing rumors. Uh, Roger Penske is keen to get World Endurance Championship racing at Indianapolis. Gee, I wonder why. It almost like It's almost like he has a team there. But, the, <laughs> but lately, I'm hearing that Coda may be back on the calendar. Now, it's not the same circuit of the Americas that was struggling pre-pandemic, pre-drive to survive boom that just got everybody to come out for the Formula One Grand Prix. But the problem is, at Circuit of the Americas, they have not yet found a way to bring in people for 
events are not Formula One, if I'm not mistaken. It was like, doesn't doesn't MotoGP have an attendance problem there? MotoGP has an attendance problem everywhere right now, but yeah. yeah. Um, and I ain't great. That, that, that Rossi effect. But I mean, when IMSA was running there in the early DPI days, the attendance wasn't great. Um, when NASCAR's run there, I mean, granted, last year's NASCAR race ran underwater there. Uh, we'll see what the attendance is like this weekend with NASCAR because they're actually in Coda this weekend as of recording. But it, generally, yeah, it just feels like F1 is the only event that really gains traction there. There's reasons why I think they would want to have it there at Indianapolis or Austin instead of like some sleepy little lakeside sound in the central Florida highlands that's like far away from Orlando and far away from Miami. I get it from that perspective. I know there are teams that are not happy to have like a uh, makeshift pit lane uh, far away from everybody else's pit lane. I know there are teams that are like not happy of the accommodations running 120 volts instead of 240 I know all that stuff, but I look at the fans that are out there packing the place for the whole weekend and forget any of this shit about like, you know, whether this territorial nonsense between WEC and IMSA fans or what have you, they come out for both of these events. And when I see that, I'm thinking, why would they want to give this up? I mean... It just feels like another in a long list of why decisions from the WEC. I mean, kind of feels like a day that ends in why, to be honest. No pun intended there. Like, I don't I don't really know what to add to that. Like, I think it would be a mistake to get re- like, why not add another race in the Americas? I was, like, well, I was gonna say, like, why is it one or the other? Was that, was, Especially like, when they don't have a lot of events in their calendar anyway. It's I not mean, like there is a, yeah. a, a hard limit on weekends where, geez, it feels like with MotoGP and F1, eventually we're gonna run out of weekends in a year. Half their calendar is in continental Europe, and they're gonna add another West Asian round because their season opener is moving to Qatar for 2024. Well, exactly. <sighs> Throw another race in in America. They might as well at this point. I mean, everybody else is trying to expand to America. MotoGP at one point had three rounds in the United States. There's more than enough room to give for two rounds in, in, in North America. Easy. Why not have both? There's no reason why they couldn't do Kota and Sebring. Who's, who's, who says no? Or Indianapolis. And or Indianapolis. Must, I'd love to see I'd love to see wet prototypes around Indianapolis. That'd be cool. I mean, the, the uh, Grand Am race... What was it 2014? Earlier than that. And Emerson's is going to be back there next year. Yeah, like we we have seen that sports car races do have a decent amount of pull at Indianapolis. Yeah. Not a huge attendance, but they've not run long enough to actually build up a following. Yeah. And I've been to one that ran for eight hours. And while they were sparsely attended, that is not necessarily a problem with the race format or Indianapolis fans just don't want to come see sports car racing. Well, that, that was also... That that race was also not a premier sports car series in America. No, I agree. Indeed. Um, so that'll do it for our Super Sebring special. Sports they car call special. call it Super. When yeah. I see it, I'll let them know. <laughs> 
it was certainly uh, it was certainly an experience. Me watching both of those over the over the weekend, I've pretty much enjoyed it despite the carnage. And um, always always helps to have good company. Shout out to the one on one Discord as I, ever. I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> I, look, there, I was, I, you know what I especially didn't enjoy? I especially didn't enjoy these this group of Florida men that went over and assaulted the wreckage of the number seven Porsche on its flatbed. Don't that, be that guy. Yeah, like if you're if you're like a child and you're just like asking for parts off a wreck race car because you don't know any better, it's whatever. If you're a grown ass adult, like trying to they reach the whole pool, left front fender off the seven and took it home. Like, what the hell is wrong with you? And you're going to get yourself caught because you're inevitably going to put the, that part up on eBay because everybody who's done this has decided to tell on themselves and get a talking to from the authority soon afterwards. Don't be that person. Hmm. Yeah, don't be that guy. That 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 that's shitty behavior. <sighs> yeah. What I will say though is that it was a very busy weekend, but thank you, Graham. Thank you, Stephen Kilby, for making my first Super Sebring less stressful than it probably could have been if it was just me on my own. Um, I think going forward, if it is just one race at Sebring, the twelve hours of Sebring is still going to be a marquee event no matter what. But I do I think mean, endurance triple crown and all that. Yeah, but it has been nice having the extra race there. And it is going to kind of suck that it's going away just as it's finding its footing. Which would be a shame, but, you know, that's that's racing for you sometimes. We'll be back for a double bill next week because uh, MotoGP, it's starting off its season this weekend in Portimao. Um, before we get out of here, um, get well soon from all of us to Paula Spargaro, who had a horrible crash uh, in FP2 this afternoon. Uh, a lung contusion and a cracked back uh, amongst the uh, injuries suffered. Uh, not going to lie, having watched it in real time, it was uh, big Louis Salom vibes. And I don't mean that in a good way. Um, no, so, not at all. Um, um, thankfully, mm. you know beat up but nothing life-threatening get well soon paul in the get well soon paul one of the good dudes in bike racing the, the, the spagaro brothers are uh we we, we they're, they're, they're easy to joke about but they are good people with uh, good hearts and always in the right place when it comes to their love for bike racing and wanting bike racing to be better um Aleish as well i know i know that that will rock Aleish because i know they 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 are incredibly close as siblings and LH has always pushed for safety in the sport in certain directions. And I know the riders are pissed about the situation there. So there will be words exchanged certainly about the state of Portimao. We'll talk about that more in the MotoGP episode next week. Also Formula E is back this weekend, making its debut in Brazil, Sao Paulo this weekend. It's basically an oval race. That should be fun, right? Um, So look forward to that. Um, It's going to be really weird having a, having one Formula E race in the, as the meat in month-long break sandwiches. Um, but here we are. That's that's motorsport planning for you in 2023. It's a fucking mess. Um, so two episodes next week, MotoGP in Portimao, Formula E at Sao Paulo. We'll see you then for that. Basically, you can find us one more time. Twitter um, is at Dre underscore WTF1, uh, at RJ O'Connell and at cbuckley917. Our website, motorsport101.com, our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101 if you want to back us financially on there. I've been Dre Harrison. 
They've been RJ O'Connell and Cam Buckley. And until next time, sayonara. Yo, Wawa convenience stores came in in the clutch when nobody else would for a whole week at Sebring. But on the way back up, did you shop at Kunkelman Chevrolet? Uh, no, because I'm not. I'm not passing through Harrisburg. Damn. <laughs>